Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Jason Wolf, and you are listening to How to Be Like Jesus. And in today's episode, we are discussing the real gospel according to the Apostle Paul. Now, the reason we're discussing this topic is because if you'll recall, if you've been listening to the previous episodes, listening along as I put out these episodes, you recall that the first episode of the show is The Real Gospel According to Jesus, where I explain going through the Gospel of John, which is the only book in the Bible written to be written basically to unbelievers and is written to tell people what they need to know and what they need to do in order to be saved. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll see that it says that about itself. It is the only book in the Bible, that, you know, the purpose of which is written to tell people how to be saved. And so we went through the Gospel of John and, and explained how Jesus clearly preached salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and that it's easy to be saved. You're just believing in Jesus Christ for the free gift of eternal life, and then you have life forever. You are secure in your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. The, the, this truth of the gospel is, is, is throughout the gospel of John. That is, that is the gospel message that the gospel of John is written to communicate to the unbelieving world, to the lost world, so they, they know what to do, they know what to believe so that, so that they can be saved. And we went through that in the first episode. If you haven't listened to that, you need to check that out so you can learn about this. And the reason that was the first episode is because, hey, if you, you're listening to the show because you want to know how to be like Jesus, the most important, the most fundamental thing that you need to do is actually be saved. Because the, that's the first thing you need to do. If you're, being a, if you're an unsaved disciple of Jesus, Hey, what's the point? I mean, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. What is the point of spending your life following Jesus just to end up in hell after you die anyway? The most important thing to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is to actually believe the gospel message that he preached and be born again. If you're not born again, what's even the point of following Jesus? You know, picking up your cross daily, carrying your cross and going through all the hardship that comes along with being a follower of Jesus all for nothing because you didn't actually believe the gospel and get saved. I mean, could you imagine anything more pointless and stupid than that? So yeah, believe, so understand the gospel, believe in the gospel so you can be saved. There's no, that is the, that is the absolute first step. You have to get that right. You have to understand that there's no point in committing your life to following Jesus if you're not actually born again, if you haven't actually believed the gospel for eternal life. And so we're talking about Paul today, what the, the gospel according to Paul, what Paul clearly articulated as the gospel in order so people can see that Paul and Jesus believe the same thing that proclaimed the same gospel message. There are various reasons why people might have a problem with that. Well, first of all, people who disagree with me about what the gospel message actually is will obviously they will argue from other passages that Jesus didn't really preach that you were simply saved by having a simple faith in him and by that faith you receive the free gift of eternal life they will point to other passages which of course we will look at in later episodes we're not getting into that right now but another thing people do is point to Paul and claim that well that can't be the truth because look how Paul says so-and-so, and they will argue that Paul is saying, oh, you have to repent of your sins or persevere in the faith or all these kinds of things to be saved, which is also not true, but we're also not looking at those passages right now. We're going to look at my case for why I think Paul preached a gospel that agrees with 
the gospel that we see Jesus preaching in the gospel of John. Again, I'm aware that there are passages people will use to claim something else, that you have to be repenting of your sins and doing good works, and you have to persevere in the faith and all these kinds of things in order to be saved, in order for you to really have saving faith that proves itself throughout your life that it's really saving faith and so on. I'm a, I am well aware of this. It's just that we will look at those kinds of passages in later episodes. We're not looking at them right now. And so I am, I am doing this episode to show what Paul actually wrote as the gospel to show that it agrees with the gospel that Jesus preached that we see in the gospel of John. Another reason is that people, some people, and we're not really going into detail here, but some people claim that Paul literally preached a different gospel than Jesus because Jesus preached a gospel that was not meant for the age of time that we live in now, but it was meant for a different group of people in a different period of time. And then Paul preached a different gospel that was meant for the Gentiles in the age that we are now living in. And I'm not going into detail about why I don't agree with that, but I'm just explaining there are different reasons why people will actually claim that Paul preached something other than what I have presented as the gospel that Jesus preached. And the point of this episode is to show you how the Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible we see the same kind of the same kind of message we see from Jesus in the Gospel of John. We see from Paul in his letters as well. And so, if you're wondering, well, how do I know that salvation is by grace, by God's grace, is just through my faith? I'm just believing in Jesus, and that way, I'm receiving the free gift of eternal life. How do I know that that's really true, and that salvation isn't a different way? Well, again, listen to the episode on the Gospel of the Real Gospel According to Jesus. Read the Gospel of John for yourself. See what he says. Pray about it. And another way to, to confirm that is, hey, let's look at what Paul actually preached. And when you see Paul and Jesus preaching the same gospel, both affirming the same truth of what you have to do to be saved, and it's just having that simple faith in Jesus Christ, thereby receiving the free gift of eternal life, you see that consistently throughout the New Testament. And I think that's throughout the whole Bible, but we're just looking at Paul today. You see that consistently throughout the New Testament that is strong confirmation that that is the correct understanding of the gospel. So that's why we're talking about this, because I want to reiterate the truth of this being the gospel as I explained it in the first episode of the show. And then, of course, we'll have other episodes going into practical things of how to apply the teachings and example of Jesus to your life, which is the main thing I want to focus on in this show. But I want to also focus and continually emphasize what is the correct gospel, because this is an an area of contention where a lot of people had there's lots of false gospels out there lots of people believing different things and believing trusting in their own works in some way to save them and so that's something i'm going to be constantly arguing against in this show so um so the point is paul agreed with jesus he preached the same gospel as jesus and that confirms that the the gospel as i articulated in the first episode of the show so let's look at just a couple of passage passages here of Paul articulating the gospel message, and I'm going to start out in Romans 11, where Paul makes it very clear that salvation is all through God's grace. It is not based on your own works, and so in Romans 11 and verse 6, Paul says this, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So you see, they are absolutely 
polar opposites, and you cannot combine them. You cannot do a, a Hegelian synthesis and say, oh, well, you know, the, the you, you cannot do a thesis, anti-thesis synthesis. You, you, you can't combine them in some way here. You can't, Paul's explaining God's grace and your works are totally polar opposite things. They cannot be combined. You cannot, once you start introducing your works to the equation, what have you done? You can't add your works to God, to God's grace. All you've done is, is undermined or nullified God's grace. And so if you're going to depend on your works and think, well, I have to contribute something to my own salvation, then you are 100% banking on your work saving you. You cannot add your works to God's grace because once you've done that, God's grace is no longer a factor. You are now 100% relying on your works. And so if you think, well, yeah, of course I have to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, he I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead three days later. And of course I believe in that and I believe in him, but I also need to repent of my sins. All these bad things I've been doing, I have to get that out of my life and stop making a habit of sin and whatever. And if I don't do that, then I don't really have a saving faith. I just said I believe in Jesus, but somehow if I don't start living differently, that means I didn't really believe in Jesus. And so I have to do these works. I have to repent of these specific sins. Otherwise, that means I don't have an authentic faith. Well, if that's what you believe, then what you're really trusting in is your ability to repent of those sins. And that nullifies you saying that you believe in Jesus to save you. That, 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 gets the grace, God's grace, totally out of the equation. And now there is no, well, I believe in Jesus, but I also have to do these works because if I don't do these works, I can't be saved. Once you start saying that and introducing works into the equation of your salvation, you have now canceled out God's grace and you are now 100% depending on your works to save you. And what does the Bible say about your works? Your works, what does it say about your, well, your works, as Paul explains in Romans uh, 6.23, that, you know, the wages of sin is death. So you're, the, the wages you'll get for your works is the death penalty, right? The lake of fire, which is the second death, according to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. That will be the wages of your works. You, you think that you can have your own righteousness through your works, but the Bible says your own righteousness is a filthy rag, so you are not going to earn salvation. You're not going to earn eternal life through your works. The second you introduce works to this equation of your salvation, you have canceled out God's grace. And you are now basically saying you don't really trust in Jesus for your salvation. Because if you did, you wouldn't be bringing works into it. You, you cannot say, I trust in Jesus and I also have to do X, Y, and Z. I also have to do these works. That is what Paul is explaining. It's one or the other. It's 100% God's grace, and you just have faith, and you're saved, or it's 100% you earning or meriting your salvation by your works, and the only thing your works get you is death, as Paul explained earlier in Romans 6. But let's just look at this again in, in Romans 11, 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Why? Because as Paul explains, otherwise, grace is no more grace. That's the whole point. If you introduce works, grace isn't grace anymore. The whole point of grace, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Another way of phrasing that, it is God, God you're, getting, you're getting something from God 
that you didn't earn. You're getting an unearned gift. You're getting unmerited, it's unmerited favor. It's something that you didn't earn. If you work for something, what does that mean? It means you've earned it. So God gives us eternal life as a free gift, the Bible says. And it is something that we do not deserve. We did not earn. We did not merit. It's an undeserved gift. And that's why it's all by grace, right? Because that's what grace means. The fact is by grace is telling us we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And salvation, eternal life is all by God's grace. If you have, if any aspect of it involves you working, then what does that mean? Is it really by God's grace? No, because if any aspect of it is given to you by God for works that you have done, then that means you've earned it in some way, and therefore you deserve it because you've worked for it. But that cancels out grace. It's one or the other. You cannot combine grace, unmerited favor, you're being given a gift that you don't deserve, and works, which means you're being paid and given something you do deserve. You see what I'm saying? Those two things cancel each other out. There is no possible way to combine them. The one cancels out the other. And so it's either 100% by God's grace, through your faith in Jesus Christ, you're simply receiving eternal life as a free gift that you don't earn and you do not deserve, or it's by works, in which case it is a payment that God owes you and that you do deserve because you earned it right? It's one or the other. It cannot, you cannot combine them because they cancel each other out. That's what Paul's explaining. So again, and if it, by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more, no more work. Exactly. If it's by grace, it can't be of work. If it's by work, then it's not of grace. It's one or the other. You have to pick one. So you either have to believe that, yeah, I'm just believing in Jesus Christ for my salvation 100% and I'm not earning it. I'm not doing any works or I'm not contributing anything to my salvation. I'm simply believing in Jesus Christ, everything that he's already done for me to provide me with eternal life as a free gift. I'm just accepting that free gift through my faith. It's either that or I am good enough to earn my salvation on my own merit. Those are your only options. If you say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you know, it's by faith, but I have to do these works, whatever those works are, whether it's your baptism, it's repenting of certain sins in your life that you want to get out of your life, which is a good thing to do. You should be getting sin out of your life, but don't think you're earning your salvation by doing that. Or by doing these good works, applying the teachings of Jesus Christ to your life to be, live a more Christ-like life, which again, of course, is a great thing to do. We all want to do that. That's what the show is about, is to help give you the teachings of Jesus to apply to your life so that you can do that. But I'm, again, I'm emphasizing you do not do that to try to earn your salvation because all you're going to earn is hell. All, all you are going to earn is the lake of fire. You cannot earn eternal life that way, as Paul makes abundantly clear here in Romans 11.6. And so I think I've beaten a dead horse here enough with this one verse. I think you get the point. If you don't get the point by now, I'm probably not going to be able to get through to you by continuing to harp on this one verse. You get the point, right? You cannot combine uh, God's grace with your works. They cancel each other out. And that is completely compatible, of course, and is a confirmation of what the Gospel of John depicts as, you know, the, the Gospel that Jesus preached in the Gospel of John. It's totally consistent, compatible with that, okay? So again, Paul is clearly preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached. Now, if we go back earlier in Romans to Romans 4, we're going to read a longer passage here to get the context. Um, in Romans 4, starting at verse 1, Paul says, 
what shall we say then? Oh, let me get the context here. So though, so he he gets it. You've probably you're, you're, I'm assuming you've probably read the Book of Romans before, but you know he goes through explaining, um, you know how how the the Gentiles understand that God exists, that everybody knows that God exists, but they hold the truth in unrighteousness, and everybody's without excuse. And he goes through talking about the Jews and how. You know, the, the Jews obviously understand these things, but the Jews are condemned by the, the law. You can't, you can't keep, you can't earn your salvation by keeping the law. He explains how the, one of the, how the law brings everyone into condemnation. Every, everyone's a sinner and comes short of the glory of God is the context of everything he's been explaining up to this point. And then he's going to explain how we are, that now, now that we've understand that everyone's condemned, everyone's a sinner, Everyone comes short of God's glory. and Everyone knows God exists, but they deny him. They reject him. They worship idols. They hold the, the they are without excuse. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. We, we've covered this. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in need of a savior. Now Paul's going to start explaining here. Well, how is it then that we're saved? And we're going to see that you're saved by grace through faith apart from works. Okay, anyway, so Romans 4, starting in verse 1, Paul says, uh, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So let's stop right here and, and look at what Paul's saying here in these first two verses. He's bringing up Abraham, because of course Abraham is the father of our faith, and you know, he's like the main kind of like poster boy, if you will, from the Old Testament of what saving faith looks like, okay? And Paul says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? So we're talking about Abraham's works, you know, what what from his works, you know, from from his flesh, like what did he contribute to his salvation? What did he bring to his salvation? Abraham, according to his flesh his own you know carnal efforts so to speak you know what what did he find as a result of that and he says for if abraham were justified by works now again paul is using the word justified again i'm assuming people are familiar with this of course this is like a technical theological kind of term in the way that paul uses it at least most of the time um to uh, you know, refer to being saved. Like Jesus doesn't really talk about being justified. Paul talks about being justified. Jesus talks about being born again, for example, in the Gospel of John. Paul talks about being justified. And you might think, oh, well, these must be two radically different concepts because they're not using the same terms, but they're basically synonyms. Paul's talking about, he's using a different term, conjuring up a different kind of imagery, but it's talking about the same concept of being re regenerated, being born again as a result of your faith. And uh, the term specifically that Paul is using is, you know, coming from this legal kind of terminology of being justified, meaning found not guilty by a judge. You know, if you were on trial for, you know, uh, you know, for supposedly committing a crime or being you know, a suspect for committing a crime or whatever, and you go through the trial and the judge pronounces you not guilty, this is like you being pronounced, you know, justified. And this is what at least within Protestant circles, within the, you know, Protestant theology, this is, and obviously uh, non-Protestants will argue 
you know, their understanding of this, and we're not going to get into a whole debate on that right now, but just giving you my perspective here that, that, um, this is this is what Protestants will call forensic justification, meaning it's it's God is just the way a judge will just declare a person, okay, you're not guilty. It's like nothing about that person is changing. That person's nature isn't being transformed or something. God is declaring people justified, declaring people not guilty. It's not that he's literally taking your actual sins away and changing you it's 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 a it's a declaration okay and so okay so paul talking about being justified and it says um in romans 4 2 for if abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory but not before god so we're talking about being justified being born again getting saved getting regenerated and paul says if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory. So he's saying, hey, so he's asking a question hey, of, of, of Abraham. As per, he says, what shall then we say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Hey, what did he contribute to his own salvation from his own flesh, from his own works? And he says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory. So if he were justified by his works, he could glory. Now think about this. Can you glory about your salvation? Can you say, yeah, I'm born again and I can glory in my own flesh. I can glory in my own works because my works contributed to it. I, in some sense, earned my salvation. I deserve to have eternal life because, hey, that is what I, I contributed to my own salvation. I can, I did works for my own salvation. So I can, I can glory in myself. Can any of that, can any of us say that? If you think you can say that about yourself, you're insane and you're an unsaved heretic. No one can say that about themselves. Anyone, even most people who believe in a false gospel, at least recognize that you shouldn't be allowed to say that about yourself. Now, if you do think you have works, that you have to do certain works to contribute to your salvation, I don't see why you would think you can't say that about yourself. Because logically speaking, remember what we just went over from Romans eleven six, your works cancel out God's grace. So then logically speaking, you should be able to glorify in your own salvation if you think you're saved by your own works. If you think you're, you need to have works to be saved, that means you think your works are contributing to your salvation. And you should be able to glory in yourself and in your works if you think you're saved by your works. So if you think it works and tribute to your salvation, why can't you glory then? If, I mean, you think you have to have works to, to be saved, right? So why can't you glory? That doesn't make any sense. The only way that actually makes logical sense for Paul to say, well, again, he, he for, for us to get from what Paul says here, because Paul is, Paul <clears throat> is, is, is giving us a rhetorical kind of argument here, but the point of what, what he's saying is that you can't glory in your own works, as we're about to see here. You cannot glory in your own works thinking that your works, that you're justified by your own works. And the only way Paul can say that that makes any sense is if it's all by God's grace and all through your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ did all the works and you don't have to do any works to be saved. That's the only way that can make sense. If you think you do have to do works to contribute to your salvation in any way, then it doesn't make any sense to say you can't glory in your own works if you think you do have to have works to be saved, all right? So does that make sense? Hopefully that made sense, everybody. So what is Paul saying? He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. And then he says, 
but not before God. So his point is, you know, Abraham, hypothetically speaking, if Abraham were justified, so made righteous before God, regenerated, born again, saved, okay, if he, if, if he got saved before God, okay, if he received eternal life from God, by his own works, he could glory, right? Just logically speaking, that makes sense. But then Paul immediately said, but not before God. So what's his point? His point is that Abraham did not do works to be justified. Because if he did works to justify to be justified, well, then he could glory before God. And his point is he is not justified by works before God. When it comes to in the sight of God, we are simply saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did all the works. We do not do any works to be justified before God. Okay. As we go on, he says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And that is referencing back to Genesis 15, 6. And so Paul just explained, all right, what is Abraham from his own flesh, from himself? What does he contribute to his salvation? Because if he was justified by works, he could glory. He could glory in the works that he did to contribute to his justification. But then immediately says he can't glory before God. And it follows that up by saying, hey, what does the scripture say? Referencing Genesis 15, 6, saying that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Exactly what I was saying about forensic justification. Does it say that Abraham was righteous in himself or that God made him righteous? No, no, no. His faith is counted for righteousness. So it's not that he actually is righteous in and of himself. It's that he has faith in God and therefore, he has this kind of what, again, Protestant theology, uh, he has what's in called imputed righteousness. He has Christ's righteousness credited to him, given cre credited to him, placed on his account, so to speak, by God, Christ's perfect righteousness. God sees Christ's perfect righteousness when he looks at Abraham, so to speak, because as Paul explains, for what say the scripture, God or Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. His faith is how he gets righteousness counted unto him. It is not his own righteousness. It is righteousness graciously given to him by God because, because of what? Because he did works? No, he simply believed in God and that faith gives him righteousness from God as a gift. And that is how we are justified before God. And he goes on to explain, now to him, now this is the key verse here, because people will say, well, but, but Abraham did works. I mean, he, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Obviously, God didn't let him go through with it, but he was about to do it. He had the knife raised up in the air when the angel of the Lord stopped him and provided the ram, which is a type of Jesus Christ being the lamb of God. And so, so, so uh, Abraham did this as a work for God. So isn't he justified by works? And we're not, no, we're not looking at James 2 today. We'll look at James 2 later. But just look at what, just stick to what Paul himself says and how Paul explains this himself in his own context, okay? And Paul goes on to say, this is the key verse because you would think, well, yeah, he believed, but don't you have to have works after? I mean, Paul believed, I keep saying Paul, I mean to say Abraham. Abraham believed God, but then he also did works. And aren't we supposed to believe in Jesus, but then also live a life of good works? And that is how we know we have an authentic faith, a faith that's like Abraham, a faith that produces works. You know, you have this quote that I've seen attributed to Martin Luther, though I've never, I'm not really sure where he supposedly said this or wrote this. I've never seen it in his own works, but I've seen it attributed to him. 
uh, the the saying that something about like, oh, I believe that we're saved by faith alone, but faith never is alone or something like that. The idea being that yeah, you're just saved by your faith, but that faith is never alone because it always produces works. And so we should be able to look at our lives and say, oh, well, if my if I'm doing good works in my life, that shows I have an authentic saving faith. Whereas if I'm not doing works, that shows that, you know, maybe I need to question my salvation. Maybe I don't have a saving faith because my saving faith shouldn't be alone. It should be producing works. Okay. This is a very common objection to what I'm saying that, that people will make, people will argue this, but notice this next verse, Romans 4, 4. What does Paul have to say about this? Paul says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So again, if you work, you get a reward and it's not given to you by grace. It's given to you by debt. The person who gives you something you work for is indebted to you because you've earned it. You deserve it. That person is now indebted to give that to you as a reward because you've worked and earned it. And it is not given to you by grace. Exactly what we just saw from Romans eleven six: Work cancels out grace. You've either worked for it and earn it. And the person is indebted to you. It has to give it to you because you, you deserve it. You've earned it through your work or it's by grace, and therefore you didn't work for it. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. The person's not indebted to you. It's one or the other. It cannot be both things. So he says, now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So either you get the gospel or you get eternal life totally by God's grace, giving it to you graciously, mercifully, because you don't deserve it, or God is indebted to you. He has to give you the gospel because you've earned it through your works. Those are the only two options. If you think, no, I have to have works as a part of my salvation, you are saying, I have to earn my salvation and then God owes me eternal life as a debt. That is insane to think that God would be indebted to you to have to give you eternal life because you've earned it. And then he goes on, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, again, people will say, well, you have to have works. Yes, you, you're saved by faith alone, but that faith never is alone. There has to be works a part of it. And people will say, I, uh, this is argued, for example, in the book, oh, what's it called? I think it's just called Faith Alone by Thomas Schreiner. And, and the foreword is written by John Piper. And so both of them will agree with this, this point that that um, they divide justification into multiple stages and will actually claim that there's this stage of initial justification, but then later on, there's this other stage called final justification. And this is not a biblical concept. I'm not going into detail on this right now to explain why you can't carve up justification at these multiple stages like this, but no, this is not a biblical concept. But what they claim is you initially, initial justification, you initially believe in Jesus Christ and you get eternal life as a free gift. And that's just by faith alone. But final justification comes once you're resurrected. And then God judges how you live, basically, once you've been resurrected. And you have an authentic faith where you actually get, you know, led in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is judged based on how you've lived your life. And if you've lived your life without works, there at that judgment, then you basically forfeit your final justification. You end up, oh, it turns out you weren't really justified because you didn't have the works and you'll be condemned to hell. Whereas if you've lived a life 
where you've added works to your faith, the faith that you've got in, in your initial justification, if you then lived your life where you're adding works to that, and then God sees those works there at that judgment, you then basically get that final justification where you're allowed in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, I, that is my understanding. This is, I'm getting this a second, second hand from the, the kind of thing that what Thomas Schreiner and John Piper articulate in, in their book, Faith Alone. So I'm not attempt. So if I'm misrepresenting that book, I'm not, I haven't actually read the book. I'm, I'm referencing that because again, a secondhand source, this is my understanding of what is articulated in that book. So again, disclaimer, haven't read the book. I'm not trying to misrepresent it. If I am, it's, it's a mistake, but I, I wanted to reference that so people would have something to look at when you know I explain this concept of initial justification and final justification you know you can look at that but see if that says what I think what I think it says based on what I've read about it but my point is this is this is a concept that is popular that people especially people who hold to lordship salvation will argue that you have to have works to to be saved, that you're saved by your faith, but then that faith has to produce works. And they would claim, if that faith does not produce works, then it's not really authentic saving faith. You won't really be saved by that faith. Again, what does Paul say? Let's look at Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just like Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness before, you know, without him doing any works. Without Abraham doing any works, his faith in God is counted as righteousness by God. And, and in the same way as Abraham is justified by faith alone, without any works, Paul says, to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted him for righteousness, just like Abraham's faith was counted him for righteousness without doing any works. So Paul makes it abundantly, explicitly, undeniably clear that no, works do not play a part in your salvation. You he says to him that worketh not but believeth that is how you're saved not by working but simply by believing having a simple faith in god just like the kind of faith abraham had where he just believed what god promised him jesus christ promises us eternal life if we just believe in him and that same kind of simple faith that abraham had if we have that kind of faith in jesus that faith is counted as righteousness for us and we don't have to do any works paul explicitly says that that Paul explicitly says that it to him that worketh not but believeth. So no, you do not have to have works. You do not, oh well, you have to believe, but then you have to add works because if you don't add works, then it wasn't really authentic. No, to him that worketh not but believeth. And then people will say, well, if you don't really have works, then you don't really have faith. Well, Paul just says, Paul just described a person who doesn't work but believes. So clearly, you can have faith without works, because Paul just says. Paul just got done saying that it is a faith that you have that is separate from works. You don't have any works, but you have faith. And Paul says that that faith counts as your righteousness. Okay. So Paul makes it very, very clear. And this is exactly, again, to harken back to what we're saying about the gospel of, according to Jesus, the gospel that we read in the gospel of John, this is exactly the same message that Jesus preached, where you were just believing in him for the free gift of eternal life, and there's not a hint of you having to do works to earn that eternal life. And as Paul just explained earlier in this 
chapter in verse four, now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Because if you if you claim that you have works contributing to you having eternal life, then you're claiming that it, you have eternal life, not by God's grace, but by your own works. And therefore God is indebted to you to give you eternal life, which is insane. And so as we keep reading just a couple more verses here, in this chapter, because Paul just got done appealing, of course, to Abraham. Now he's going to appeal to David. It says, <clears throat> even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness. And watch this again, without works. And then <clears throat> he quotes he quotes David he says, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So again, it's an imputed righteousness. God, if you have faith, God will not impute sin. Instead, you have an imputed righteousness, a foreign righteousness that is not yours because we're not righteous. Our righteousness is our filthy rags, the Bible says, but we get Christ's righteousness given to us as a free gift. That is, that is why it talks about uh, our faith being counted as righteousness because our faith, we don't have our own righteousness. We're sinners, but our faith counts as righteousness because God sees Christ's perfect righteousness in the place of our sins. That's why it says, again, quoting from David, that, that blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So God is not count, God is not recognizing your sin, but instead you have an imputed righteousness that comes from Christ that is counted to you because of your faith and not of works. Again, Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul emphasizes again now he's repeatedly emphasizing this in this chapter and you see it, him emphasizing again at the end of verse six where he says even as david also described it, the blessedness of the man unto whom god imputeth righteousness again this is imputed righteousness unto whom god imputeth righteousness without works so again how are you going to sit there and say oh well of course you're saved by god's grace through your faith but that faith has to produce works otherwise at the final justification you'll be condemned to hell. You're not really saved unless you have works at that final justification, wherever that supposedly is. No. Paul just said that God imputes righteousness to you without works. Works do not contribute to your own salvation. If you, if you are depending on your own works to try to save you, you are canceling out God's grace. You are claiming you've earned eternal life and then God is indebted to you to give you eternal life as a reward for the works that you've done. That is what Paul clearly articulates here in Romans 4. And it repeatedly says, it's not of works, to him that worketh not, but believeth. And he says that God imputes righteousness, that blesses a man to whom God imputes righteousness without work. So again, Paul emphasizes repeatedly, this is all based on your faith alone, and it is without works. And so we've seen from these two basically little samples from the book of Romans, Paul clearly, repeatedly articulating. I mean, how many times does Paul have to say that grace and works cannot be combined in any way because they cancel each other out, and then a person is saved by their faith without works, and that works have nothing to do with the equation? I don't know how many more times Paul could repeat it for these people who deny this to actually understand this and accept this. But Paul very clearly and repeatedly explains that works have nothing to do with your salvation for the reasons that we've been going over here. And like I've been emphasizing, this is 100% 
what Jesus Christ preaches in the Gospel of John. So you see Paul is preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached in the Gospel of John. I'm going to very quickly look at just two other places of Paul before we conclude here. And so in Ephesians, I think we all probably know where I'm going here, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Paul says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And again, we see the content of boasting, just like we saw how Abraham, if he were justified by works, he could glory in that justification. But Paul explains, well, he can't glory before God because, of course, he's not justified by works before God and so on, as, as we've just seen. And so we see this concept again of if you work at all, to any degree, for your salvation, if you can get to heaven or, or if you are hanging out in the new heavens and new earth after you're resurrected and you can in any way say, hey, this work that I did, whatever it is, whether it's repenting of something, whether it's doing some good Christ-like thing for someone, whether it's getting baptized, whether it's joining whatever church or whether it's praying and reading the Bible every day or whatever, if you were... If you could sit there, and of course you can't do this, of course, anyone who thinks they can attribute their salvation to their works will not be in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth. But hypothetically, if you could be hanging out in the, you know, under your under your shade tree, as it's described in Isaiah, on the new heaven and new earth, and be and be sitting there going, Oh well, I'm so glad that I did X, whatever that is. I'm so glad that I did whatever work. To contribute to my salvation because otherwise I wouldn't be here right now. If you could say that, what would you be doing? You would be boasting in your works. And Paul repeatedly emphasizes you cannot boast in your own works when it comes to your salvation. And so again, let's read what he says. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast. The whole, the whole reason works are excluded is because God doesn't want people boasting. Why? Because God came to earth, became a human, lived a perfect life that we have all failed to live because we're all sinners, died for our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve, rose from the dead, conquering Satan and death so that he could offer us eternal life. It is the first fruits, him resurrecting as the first fruits of our resurrection. That is the hope that we have. You know, if you read, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, that is why we cannot boast in our own salvation. God already did everything. He already did the work. There is no work for us to do as a basis for us to boast in our own salvation. And then we are just given eternal life, as Paul explains. For by grace are ye saved through faith. It is by God's grace and through our faith that we are saved. That's it, not of works. So it's exactly the gospel as I articulate it. You are saved by grace, by God's grace, through your faith, and it's not of works. That's exactly what Paul just said. For by grace are you saved through faith. And it goes on to say, not of works. That's exactly the gospel that I preached. That is exactly the gospel that we see Jesus preaching in the gospel of John. Anything else where you're saying, oh yeah, but after you have faith, of course you have to have works. Otherwise it's not real faith. How, how does that make any sense? How is that at all compatible with Paul who just got done saying that it is by grace through faith, not of works? So, again, to emphasize, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And no, I'm not a Calvinist, so I do not believe that Paul is saying that 
the very faith that you have is a gift from God that you cannot choose to have faith, but God has to give you that faith through an irresistible grace. No, this is when it's saying that um, for a grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, what is the that and the it, right? So, and I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail here to, uh, we'll, we'll address Calvinistic kind of things later, but um, um, the, the that and the it, obviously Calvinists will say, well, that is your faith. So Paul is saying your faith isn't even of yourself. Your The very faith that you have is the gift of God. I think that's referring to your salvation. Your salvation is not of yourself. You're not saving yourself. Your salvation is a gift of God, but you're just receiving that gift through your faith. And yeah, we choose to have faith, but this idea that, no, 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 you don't even have your, you don't even have faith of yourself. God gives you faith as a gift. I do not think is what this passage is articulating. And we can get into, oh, well, but oh, the Greek grammar, what is this? We'll look at that another time. I'm just explaining that I'm not articulating a Calvinist view of this verse here. So for I you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should those. It cannot be more clear. Now, what people try to do to subvert this is they will look at verse 10. And people will usually in a very kind of haughty, arrogant kind of attitude, like, oh, well, when people quote these verses, they never include verse 10. Well, and they act like, oh, this is so ridiculous. How could you not include verse 10? Well, for some reason, you you conveniently leave out verse 10 when you quote from verses 8 and 9. Well, let's see, maybe it's because verse 10 is a different sentence. I mean, look at that. What does verse 9 end in? A period, because that was the end of Paul's thought. So it is not somehow, I'm not trying to twist scripture or somehow pull the wool over your eyes by quoting a complete thought from the Apostle Paul. I mean, verse seven ended in a period and then verse nine ends in a period. So verses eight and nine is one sentence and one thought of Paul. At least that's how it's translated in my English Bible. And so I'm sitting here reading the Bible in English, of course, and I see one complete sentence from Paul expressing a complete thought. And I read that and draw a conclusion from it. That is not, there's nothing wrong with doing that. The next verse is another sentence. Okay. So it's, I mean, if I stopped in just like mid sentence, and just like took that out of context. Went, oh, well, look how, and the, but then the sentence goes on and he starts saying something completely different from that. You know, that would be one thing to accuse someone of twisting scripture. If they're like literally pulling a fraction of a sentence and saying, oh, look what this says. But that's not what we're doing. We're looking at a complete thought that Paul had, okay? And now let's look at verse 10 because the, the argument is somehow verse 10, even though Paul just got done saying you were saved, totally by God's grace through your faith and that it's not of works. And the whole reason it's not of works is so you can't boast in your salvation because God has done all the work and he's giving it to you as a gift. Paul just got done explaining this. Supposedly, according to people who do lordship salvation or Catholics and, and so on, supposedly verse 10 is going to just totally be a paradigm shift. Oh, it turns out we were misunderstanding verses eight and nine the whole time. Turns out Paul's actually saying you have to have works to be saved. That is what their argument assumes is happening here. And that makes no sense. And so let's look at verse 10 and see, are we completely misunderstanding verses eight and nine? Do we need verse 10 to like tell us, oh, it turns out Paul is being sarcastic in verses eight and nine. And actually you do need to have works to be saved. Let's look at verse 10 and see what it says. 
for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good, good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Yeah, okay. How does this contradict what I understand as what, you know, what Paul's getting at in verses eight and nine? How does it contradict it? I need an explanation. So all it's saying is, yeah, we are his workmanship, being God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Yeah, because of course, because of course, God wants us now that we're saved to live a life as obedient disciples and do good works and do works that God has ordained for us to do. God has a plan for the church. God has a plan for Christians and works, you know, the Great Commission, going out, preaching the gospel so people can be converted and baptizing them and dis making disciples of people, discipling them. Yeah, of course, these are good works God wants us to do. That's not inconsistent with what I'm saying. All I'm saying is those works that God has ordained for us to do do not contribute to our salvation. We are not earning eternal life by doing those works. That's all I'm saying. And that is exactly what Paul just said, because Paul just said, when it comes to our salvation, it is by God's grace through faith, and it's not of works. So he doesn't in the very next sentence say, oh, but actually you do have to do works, and those works do contribute to your salvation. No, of course not. That's absurd. Paul is just saying, now that you're saved, God has works for you to do that he's ordained for Christians to do. And we are his workmanship because we're created in Christ Jesus to do these good works. And God, the expectation is now you're saved. Now you're a Christian. God has these works for you to do. It's called the Great Commission. It's called go preach the gospel to every creature, baptize people, make disciples. That is what God wants for us to do. So yeah, of course there's still, it's not, oh, you got saved, great. Now your life is a vacation and just lay around and wait to die so you can go to heaven. No, of course not. That's absurd. That's not what God has planned for people. God wants Christians to do good works, mainly the Great Commission. Is, is that inconsistent? The only way you can argue that's inconsistent with what Paul just explained in verses eight and nine is if you're saying that you have to do those works to be saved, those works are contributing to your salvation. Folks, where does Paul say in verse 10 that these works are contributing to your salvation? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath, or had, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them to be saved? No. Paul just got done explaining you're saved by grace through faith, not of works. And when he, in this verse, when he's talking about how God has created us in Christ Jesus to do these good works, he's ordained for us to do these works. It's just explaining, yeah, the Christian life is a life of work, but it is not in any way, shape, or form saying that you have to do these works to be saved. Paul doesn't say that these works are part of your salvation. And it's absurd to think that it's implied that these works are in part of our salvation when literally in the previous verse, Paul just got done saying that Paul just got done saying not of works as any man should boast. Then you think it's going to go immediately after saying that explain that, well, actually you do have to do work to be saved. So then you can boast. No, that's a, that's absurd. That makes no sense. So people will try to appeal to verse 10 as if this is somehow this silver bullet that shows, ha ha. So you do have to do works. That's, Folks, that's just insane. That would be making Paul contradict himself. And that verse 10 says nothing about doing works to contribute to your salvation. Doing works is, of course, that's a part of the Christian life, but those works do not contribute to your salvation because if they did, then you could boast. And Paul just got done saying you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this work that we do as born-again Christians is a part of 
the Christian life of what God wants us to do. He wants us to follow Jesus. He wants us to apply Christ's teaching and the example of his life that we see in the Gospels to our lives so we can be sanctified. And it also has to do with uh, earning rewards for later on, but those rewards are not a part of your salvation. Reward Salvation is a gift. Rewards are something that you earn in addition to being saved. We're not getting into that in detail now either, but these are various reasons why God has ordained for us to walk in good works. But again, that, that is not required for salvation. Paul does not say that. It is absolutely absurd to interpret verse 10 in that way because all you're doing is interpreting verse 10 in such a way that actually contradicts what Paul just said in verses 8 and 9, and that makes no sense. So I think I've labored enough there on that passage. One more very quick passage here, and it's not from one of Paul's letters. It's from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, we have... We have um, Paul and, and Silas are, they've been imprisoned. And basically what happens here in the context is they get imprisoned, but then an earthquake happens, the prison doors open, and the guard there assumes that everyone just left and fled the prison. And he thinks, you know, oh man, I'm in big trouble because all, all my prisoners here that I'm here guarding all just escaped. And he's about to kill himself. He pulls out his sword. He's about to kill himself because... You know, I don't know if the Romans would have like tortured him and executed him or, or what his what his punishment from the Romans would have been for the prisoners escaping. But whatever it is, he doesn't want to deal with it. He, it's worse than death, apparently, because he wants to avoid that scenario. And so he's just about to kill himself when Paul shouts out to him and stops him because nobody actually escaped. The, the earthquake happened. The prison gates opened, but nobody actually escaped. They're all still there. So then Paul you know, tells him, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And basically having this horrible, you know, crisis and near-death experience, you know, at his own hand here, that this guard just went through, basically, the way I see it, it kind of brings him to rock bottom to realize, oh, man, you know, I, I need to know how to be safe because, you know, life is crazy and I almost just killed myself here for no reason because these people are still here. And so this brings him to the point of realizing, hey, I need to know how to be saved. And, and so ask this of Paul and Silas and just look at the answer that he gets. So that's the context of what happens. If we just look here at verse 30, Acts 16, verse 30, it says, and, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So this is the guard asking Paul and Silas, what do I need? And, and this is a very important passage because this is the only passage this is the only time you'll see it in the Bible where someone asks this question, what must I do to be saved? Yes, you have the rich young ruler who asks Jesus something like, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Something like that. And, and obviously we'll look at that passage in detail later. But this is the only passage. So you have that passage where it's kind of the same kind of question. But this is the only time that a person asks, what must I do to be saved? They're not asking, hey, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life? They just ask, what must I do to be saved? The only time this question is asked in the whole Bible. So seeing the answer is very important, very enlightening to see, well, what is the answer to this question? What must I do to be saved? And verse 31, it says, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Of course, thy house referring to your family. And that's the answer. Very simple answer. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There is no yeah, you believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved with your initial justification. But then, you know, God ordained these works that you have to walk in in order to earn your final justification. And if you don't do those good works, 
after you after your initial faith then you won't really get into heaven when you die and you won't be led into the new heavens and the new earth after your resurrection because you got to have those works after your faith in order to actually earn your salvation no of course not that's absurd everything we've seen from paul so far we've looked at today from the book of romans and ephesians completely contradicts that we have so we and of course that is completely left out here because that's just this is not a biblical concept of you have to do works after your faith to contribute to your salvation we've seen that contradicted over and over again by paul that says it's not of works and so we see him very in a very very summarized you know message here of believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved that is the essence of what it is now, of course he has to he didn't explain well what is what are what is it that you are believing but we see what 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 is it that you must do what must i do to be saved believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved it's that simple you you're just believing in jesus for salvation and again this is exactly what we see jesus saying like in 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 john 6 47 i mean think of this compare acts 1631 with something like john 647 it's a really simple verse but i don't want to mess it up from memory because somehow even though it's a very very simple verse i'll end up doing that so john 647 jesus said verily verily i say unto you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life does it get much more simpler than that? Does it get any easier than that, folks? He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. It's simple. It's just faith in Jesus, and you have everlasting life. It's given to you as a free gift. Compare that with what Paul says when he's asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Exactly what Jesus said in John 6, 47. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life, is what Jesus said. And Paul and Silas say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See what I'm saying? It's the same message from the Gospel of John to what Paul articulates in here in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians. There's nothing about repenting of your sins, getting baptized, doing good works to contribute to your salvation. No, because works will cancel out God's grace, as we've seen time and time again in Paul. And in fact, Actually, forgot I wanted to look at this uh, passage in Galatians. We'll look at one thing in Galatians, and then we'll be done. So we see, again, the, this is a very important passage. The one time in the Bible the question is asked, what must, I be, what must I do to be saved? The answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's simple. It's just an act of faith. That's all it takes. Nothing else. Nothing beyond that. Because anything else you do beyond that is canceling out God's grace because it would give you the ability to boast in your salvation if your works would actually save you, which of course they cannot. And so that's all it is. It's just a simple act of faith by which you receive eternal life as a free gift. That's what the, that is the biblical gospel. And we see, for example, in Galatians chapter three, and of course the controversy going on here is you have Judaizers saying you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the law, you have to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you can't really be saved. You're not a real Christian, which is absolutely absurd. And Paul explains here in Galatians 3, starting in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before his eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then this is the key verse here. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, 
are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And that is my that is my main question here for folks who hold to worship salvation or whatever other gospel that you insist. Well, no, you you still have to be doing good works in your life. After yeah, you're saved initially by just that act of faith. There's not necessarily works associated with it when you just have your initial act of believing in Jesus. But after that, you have to have a life of repentance and doing good works and persevering and so on, because otherwise it's not real faith. My question for you who believe that is, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Because that is essentially what you're saying. Yeah, you begin in the spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sins and the power of the word of God being preached to you. And with you know because god's word is powerful and someone's preaching the gospel to you through the powerful word of god and the holy spirit is convicting you of your sin and of your need of a savior and of jesus christ being the one who's taking care of your sin on the cross and you, and rising from the dead and that's how you begin your faith that initial act of faith beginning in the spirit because this is a you you are learning a spiritual truth and having this spiritual act of believing in the gospel as it's preaching you from the word of god the holy spirit is convicting you of, of these things and enlightening your mind to the truth of the gospel you're beginning in the spirit but then after that oh after that it's all about repenting of your sins and doing good works and doing all this so you're you're beginning the spirit but then you're made perfect by the flesh that's what you believe that's insane and of course it's a rhetorical question that paul asks because of course it's absurd to think yeah i begin my christian life in the spirit but then after that it's a life of the flesh where it's all about me doing works to earn my salvation because if i don't then i won't really be saved when i eventually get judged by god that's absurd and I know that people will want to fall back and go, oh, well, I'm not saying that it's all just me in the flesh doing works. I, I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these works. And of course, if you're actually saved and you're doing good works that God wants you to do as a Christian, because again, I'm not denying that the Christian life is, meant, is a life of work. That's what it's meant to be. And of course, if you believe in Jesus and you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And the Spirit does empower you to do works for God throughout your life. The, these are the works for God has ordained for you to walk in, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, that I totally affirm is, of course, true. But if those works are not contributing to your salvation, if you think those are contributing to your salvation, that would be canceling out God's grace, as we just went over. The Holy Spirit is not going to empower you to do works to try to earn your salvation and cancel out God's grace. Folks, that doesn't make any sense. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do works for God so that you can do you can accomplish god's will do what god wants you to do accomplish the things in the world that god wants to be accomplished through the church and earn rewards from god that you'll receive later yeah the holy spirit will empower you to do those things the holy spirit's not going to empower you to undermine the grace of god and think you're earning your salvation that's that's crazy that doesn't make any sense and so we see here that paul preaches a gospel that is all salvation by grace it is by God's grace, through your faith, you receive eternal life as a free gift. It's not of works, which any man should boast. It's 100% consistent with what we see Jesus preaching in the Gospel of John. We just compared John 6, 47 to Acts 6 and 31 and seen that it's the exact same message. When asked, the only time in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? It's a very simple thing. Just believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved based simply on your act of faith, not on anything else. And so there you go. That is the real gospel according to the Apostle Paul. I hope you enjoyed it.
I hope I was able to get through to people. I hope that made sense. If not, I, I encourage you to, if you think, no, 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 I, I, you, you have to repent. You have to have good works. So that's what the Bible teaches. It can't be that simple. I encourage you, especially to read the gospel of John and think about what Jesus says, but also, of course, read the book of Romans in context and the book of Galatians, and the book of Ephesians and see how that's the message that Paul preached. And it's the same thing that Jesus preaches in the gospel of John. And so, and next time we'll move on to other topics. Again, this topic I'm going to bring up time and time again in this show, because it's the most important topic that people need to understand. You need to understand the gospel. And so this is going to keep coming up and we will deal with problem passages that people claim Jesus is teaching some aspect of works. We'll deal with James too. We'll deal with these things as time goes on and the show goes on. But that's it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening and God bless.